1: what's going on everybody welcome into another episode of green with envy today we are without our normal co-host uh will weir so hopefully this episode has a better feel than a celtics broadcast that uh doesn't have mike gorman or sean grandy (laughs) uh per usual i am joined by my podcasting cousin adam taylor but today we are so lucky to welcome in one of my favorite celtics analysts NBC Sports Boston, Boston Celtics insider, and as my girlfriend calls him, that one guy with the hair, Chris Forsberg. <laughs> welcome to the show.
2: What's going on, guys? I, I do. So, if you're watching this on, on online, I hope. I just had to explain to the boys it's it's 88 degrees in Boston. Uh, I could not, in good faith, do this podcast from a studio or my usual basement or whatever. So, I've relocated outside. You're getting Chris from the car. Uh, I will try to bring the same energy that I would bring in a, in a normal podcasting situation. <laughs> well speaking of go oh, go ahead Adam.
3: I was just going to sample here for Chris from Mac
2: with the sunglasses and everything man. Right? and I and I now I'm realizing they're mirrored too so you're just going to see like any notifications that pop <laughs> up on my phone. So uh ho- hopefully no one sends me anything too uh to to juicy. Well now we'll know if you're paying attention or not. <laughs> <That's
1: so true. laughs> uh speaking of energy though man, so you you are the second uh n b c sports studio Ooh. host that has been on the show. We've actually had your girl Amina Smith on the show nice. three different times. Wow uh, so she's always had a really good time on the show. um Adam hasn't been part of those shows, so I don't know if it's a will thing, if it's a me thing, but <laughs> now we got you on the show. So I want to start this conversation just very quickly, giving a quick shout to Amina. And I was just wondering if you could uh just speak to your relationship with Amina and uh just answer this one question for me. What is one thing that Amina has brought to the broadcast that you can't find anywhere else?
2: ooh, interesting she's just so steady and uh you know it's it it it's uh it makes my job easy when you just show up and uh you know she just lays it out there and and you take the ball and run with it. And all of our hosts are awesome, like, whether it's Abby or whether it's Giles. Uh, everyone just makes this job super easy. And it's never like, you know, it's never a chore to work. Uh, certainly, you know, she had a busy couple months there with uh, with 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 winning a Super Bowl and, and a baby. And so, uh, you know, she's she's, she's a, oh, I hope she's able to enjoy a little bit of downtime here with the with the new little one. And uh, as as we try to we try to keep the uh, energy up on the show without her, for sure, Amina, we love you.
3: I feel like I'm missing out here, you know, because I don't get to watch the NBC show. Oh I no! Get, it, it just it, I no access, so I feel like I'm missing out. I see you all when you're on like the on the sidelines or when you pop into the um to the play by play with some facts and stats, and that that's pretty much as much as I get, man. I feel like I'm, and then obviously when you're doing your um post-game podcasts and stuff but like, i'm missing out i'm very disappointed somebody yeah, needs to have a chat with mv I,
2: I need to get you like a vpn and we'll just like set you up with youtube tv and uh and like you can say your lo- location is massachusetts like that's probably i probably shouldn't be saying that that, that sounds highly <laughs> illegal uh but like people are so the vpn
3: to... what youtube tv has a vpn detector already tried really doesn't, yeah it doesn't let you do it same as hulu <sighs> hulu does the same thing
2: Man, Sorry. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I like, I'd have to go on the dark web to to figure out like how to how to necessarily no, get you. But you need the CR. So I I, I wonder, have you tried? Uh, now we're going down a wormhole here. But uh, <laughs> are are, are, yeah, are even our like links on our website um, blocked from uh, from from you? Like, can you? What does it say? Location blocked if you try to log into uh, on a yeah.
3: Uh, well. Um, I don't the know. VPN it, comes in clutch there. I can get your articles, like if you tweet okay. out a link to an article, I will get them. They're, they're always uh, a top of my reading list, but the video content, nah. So, so maybe
2: uh, I guess my my only hope here is uh, I'm just gonna have to hold my phone throughout the entire thing and just try to stream it to you from from like uh, from from my phone, just so you can watch or something. You know. There we go.
3: There we go. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm involved then. I feel like mm. I'm involved. Talking of streaming, we're all going to be streaming a Celtic's game tomorrow.
2: How are you, you feeling about that? The, the, uh, the, the, so uh, how am I feeling in general about the game? or mm-hmm. the, about, Yeah, so I feel good. Like, it's weird. I, I've spent all season being cautiously optimistic at times because you just never quite know on a night-to-night basis what you're going to get from this team. Uh, I think more often than not, they've played to their standard. But certainly when it's been whenever you felt like that maybe they are the superior team, you sometimes get a little worried. And so it's strange that I'm like I feel like talking to the guys this week, they are engaged. They have waited what the better part of ten months now to, to sort of get another crack at the playoffs and get back to the finals. And so uh I feel pretty I feel confident that they're gonna that they're gonna come out with the right energy and, and even if they uh, even if they know on paper they're a better team, I think they, they know they need to show it. And uh, they won't look past the Hawks the way they maybe look past the the Jazz and the Rockets and some of those other trip ups during the season. And I do think, like you know, they're motivated. They know sixteen wins to get where they want to go and and uh, atone for last year.
1: Have you have you had any conversations with Joe about this series?
2: Yeah, and uh, you know what? Like I think he understands as much as anybody that coaches are graded in the postseason that. You know, you can be a great regular season coach, but if you can't get it done at the biggest level, look. Everyone here loves Doc Rivers, but you know, I'm sure the Clippers and 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 Philadelphia fans feel a certain way about not getting over those humps, and uh, you got to prove that you're you can thrive on that stage. And so Joe, despite all the successes of the regular season, kind of has to reprove himself. And nothing about what I've seen this year suggests he won't be ready for that moment. In fact, I think that's part of the luxury here, having a week he said he went back and watched a lot of film from the year and tried to digest the moments that weren't good. He's like super competitive. So, you know, more than anything, I, I, I know how much he wants to win. And I just think he's going to be ready for, for that moment. And, uh, you know, it's, it's also a luxury when you have a team that's so supremely talented that you just kind of, you kind of let those guys do what they do. Uh, but I am, I am interested to see how that goes and whether he continues to make quick decisions and pushes the right buttons and, is ready to call those timeouts, which he said was, you know, the number one thing he's learned over the course of the year. He actually so, said that to you. Yeah, well, I mean, he said it to all of us. He was, uh, he was. I think it was the last game of the season. They said what you know, it was a very general question, and someone said, you know, what, what, have you, what is your biggest? What's the biggest thing you've learned this year? And he didn't, he didn't even re- elaborate on. It. He just said, you know, calling timeouts, <laughs> and because uh, he knows we busted his chops throughout the year about it, and uh, he certainly got better at it. By the end of the year, there were games where we were like, oh my god, he just used all of his timeouts uh, in a quarter or half or whatever the situation may be. Uh, But I think that is important in the postseason, you know, whether it's a little bit of a run or whether it's just, you know, needing to collect your guys. uh, I do think he needs to be, to be ready and he shouldn't be fearful about it. You know, like they learned a lot having to kind of play through those lulls. Uh, And yet, you know, you can't let the game get away from you in the postseason.
1: Definitely. You, you mentioned how, um, you know, the guy's been watching a lot of film and I kind of want to start there with this conversation because, Adam, I know that probably since Tuesday, Adam's probably watched at least 20 hours of film on the Hawks. <laughs> and Chris, you're one of my favorite uh, basketball minds, you know, uh, that covers the Celtics. So while I have two guys that really know what they're talking about with X's and O's, Adam, I want to start with you. What is one thing that you've kind of gleaned from your hours and hours of watching film on the Atlanta Hawks?
3: Send Smalls at Clint Capella early and often and try and get pickup points around that mid-post area to keep him away from the glass. So get your Marcus Smart or Malcolm Brogdon's, Preyton Pritchard's to get underneath him, get underneath his hips. And he's just going to really struggle. You'll limit his ability to rebound as effectively as what you saw against Miami. I think it's also worth noting for anyone, Because I've seen a bunch of people panicking, and Chris, I want, I'd want i like to get your thoughts on this as well. There were so many people like, oh, Capella just destroyed the heat on the glass, right? But if you look through the entire season, one of Miami's biggest weaknesses has been no legitimate backup pick. They, they've really struggled for additional minutes at the five behind Bam. Boston aren't going to struggle there. So I think if you throw a small in there... And ask them to start doing picking up, picking him up a bit higher in the paint to avoid, to you know, draw some fouls, make it difficult for him, make him uncomfortable. I think you can kind of find a way to make him a bit of a numb factor down the stretch.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's interesting to me. The Celtics have been such a good defensive rebounding team. Like, if, if you told me, and I, I, I don't know what point of the season I looked it up, and I was like, wait, the Celtics are the best in the NBA in defensive rebounding because it feels like the nights that they've kind of kicked away games, it's been they've been gouged on second chance points. So it was like almost jarring, especially then you see they go up like 3% in defensive rebound rate when Rob's on the court, which kind of makes sense, but you just think it was like all of their success would be tied to Rob. Um, But I think the good thing about not having Rob for stretches and being just small in general has, it it sort of hammers home your point that everyone needs to know that they need that one, like guys like Tatum got to be crashing the glass and guys got to get bodies on, on players because they'll, they'll swoop in. If we've heard Missoula say anything over the last couple of weeks, it's been all about four factors, all about offensive rebound rate, and I am interested to see if uh, if they can control that aspect of the game.
3: I'm interested in your thoughts on Rob. Like, in my opinion, the best way to run this series is to keep him on the bench and then kind of stagger his minutes so that he's not really matching up with Capella. Their skill sets are quite similar. Obviously, Capella's older. He's more, but in the same breath, Capella was the prototype rim runner that Rob has kind of evolved into and then evolved past because of his passing ability. But I'm like, if you have Al Horford in the starting five, you play a five out, you're forcing Capella to now have to guard you on the perimeter. His luster step, his hip hip dexterity isn't what it used to be. So his ability to kind of change um, direction is a bit limited compared to what we saw four or five years ago. And then when Capella goes to the bench, you bring Rob in and Rob just does what Rob does. You, I mean, do you feel that would work, or would you rather see him and Capella match up and kind of go head to head?
2: So I'm I'm actually intrigued by what Quinn Snyder does. So I think there's if if they're looking to get that matchup, you know, and maybe they just feel like that's the best way to to like play Capella. Do you go to the bench early and and you know, and and bring him in for more to Mira Rob's minutes, or do you just kind of play your own game? I, you know, it will be part of the chess match. And, it, you know, maybe that forces Joe's hand, too. Like if the Celtics are just that starting group for whatever reason, because they're undersized, they're not rebounding well. Do you go to Rob earlier? Are you now trying to match Rob? I, so it's all part of the game to, to decide, like, you know, uh, the, that chess matchup uh, of of the playoffs. And that's what's great about the, the postseason. It's just, you know, OK, what what do the, what do both sides do when primary areas of success are taken away? I mean, I think the big question with the Celtics, of course, is what happens if they start missing threes? Like, how are they generating offense? How are they getting more consistent offense out, out of these guys? And I think, you know, you heard a lot of guys say, especially at the start of the week, that was such a big focus. Okay, how do we, you know, when things go wrong, how do you react? And how because they didn't always do it great this season. They start missing shots, and and it felt like they got away from from what uh, their identity is. Now, if their defense is as good as it was last season, and we certainly saw shades of that at the end of the year, especially with a healthy Rob. I think it makes it a lot easier to tackle. But yeah, I, I think in, in general, like I think we're overly focused on Capella based on the way he gouged the Heat, and yet it's understandable. Like that was a weakness at times for the Celtics. So uh, I think they, if I had a guess, it was quite the priority at, at practice this week.
3: <clears throat> Sorry, I was on mute. I'd like to see the different ways, different looks you can throw him with, Scala, um, yeah, you can throw with Scala there. You can there's mm. a bunch of different things that you can do that where I'd be. Very confident, Greg's back in being able to just minimise what Musca- what Capella can do, but then you also <laughs> need to not overfocus, right? As you was kind of alluding to a little bit, it's not like he's the only weapon that they've got. I'm not saying that they're a deep team. I feel like one through eight, one through nine, Boston's just so much stronger. I mean, Trey Young's coming into this series is arguably the third best player in the series, potentially even the fourth if you like, depending on how highly you rate. Derek White's ability to just be calm and collected and you know sometimes I'm I'm a big fan of consistency rather than the occasional offensive explosion Mm -hmm.
2: I I rate the the Derek White experience highly and uh you know it is so I I think this is why we were doing this discussion on one of our programs this week about what is Trey Young is he a legitimate superstar is he just good but not great is he just like overrated the offense is super fun, and it is a luxury when you got a guy that you have to pick up by half court. And yet, look, the Celtics lived this life a little bit. And this isn't to like lump them all in the same group. I want to make sure I like, you know, every time I say this, I that I'm not trying to slander. But like, Kemba and Isaiah Thomas were great offensive scorers, but they had limitations defensively. And Trey possibly even more because he's he, he just for whatever reason cannot consistently defend that position. And so teams hunt him out and what he scores probably is highly offset by what he's given up. And so I think that would be a focal point for the Celtics. Okay. Let him get 40, but if he's given up 40 points on the other end, then it, it, you're not doing your team any favors. And as you said, the depth is going to win out for the Celtics. And so that's Atlanta's challenge. I'm sure I, Quinn Snyder has my ultimate respect. Like I think he's a really good coach, but I got to think he looks at his personality. It's like, how the heck do we defend at a level to win against a team like Boston because the Celtics should score a lot of points against this team. And Quinn's got to figure out a way that Atlanta can at least give itself a chance to compete uh, without having to score 125 points against the second-best defense in the NBA.
3: You've mentioned how everyone can hunt, Trey, right? So this is a really interesting point to me that I think... Has become a bit of a talking point, right? So you, you, you're gonna hunt Trey, you're gonna get your points back. If he scores three, you're gonna at least get two, depending on what action Joe decides to run in that moment or however the Celtics flow into the offense. But another guy that everybody seems to hunt is Sam Hauser, right? Like, and mm. it's to their detriment because it takes them out of what it takes the opponent's opposing team out of what they're trying to do. They often kind of bog down, trying to run in screen after screen to get Hauser, and then he's not really a turnstile. He's not like Trey Young where you are going to blow by him every time and he's not going to give 100% defensively. Sam Hauser actually competes defensively. And I feel like this series, with how Sam's done against Atlanta through through the regular season over those three games, do you think he's coming into this with a bit of an advantage over Grant Williams?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: All right, well, first off, I was midway through answering your question, Adam, and uh, my phone just turned completely, completely dark. And I, I was like, wow, oh, what's happening? And uh, I realized my desire to see the sunshine had caused my iPhone to overheat. And I got the temperature warning message. And as such, I have now relocated to the garage that I was trying desperately to avoid at work uh, to finish this podcast taping. But you were asking about Sam Hauser and his potential to play. And uh, I was saying that I am hopeful that Grant Williams can tap into what made him so impactful a year ago. And as much as it's been a little bit of a maddening season for Grant, I think we all know that when he puts defense as a priority, when he is taking open three-point shots and connecting at a high rate, He can be super impactful and he doesn't really have to step too far outside of that. And it's great that he's kind of learned to put the ball on the floor, but this stage of the, of, of the year, I just want to see him thrive in what he's good at. And so if he does that, I, then maybe, you know, it'll be harder for Sam Hauser and Muscala and all those sort of guys to see the floor. But to, to be fair, Hauser was great in the the final stretch of the season, the on-off splits when he's out there have been great. And so uh, I do hope that they try to carve out a little bit of time for him because when points are at a premium in the playoffs, Hauser is a guy that can make it a lot easier on your offense. And so uh, if, if he's got it going, then I would I would absolutely advise that they uh, they try to ride that.
3: Yeah. I think with, uh, oops, sorry, go ahead, Greg. Uh, hey, man, I haven't
1: had a chance to say anything on this <laughs> spot, so <laughs> <laughs> I just want to jump in real quick. Um, With Grant, like he's one of those guys that I think when he's playing at his best, like the best Grant Williams we can ever think of, I think no matter what, he should be in the lineup over Sam Hauser, right? If he's reaching that potential. But this year, Grant has been kind of one of those guys where I kind of see him getting pushed to the, oh, if the matchup is right, Grant Williams can play, right? So is there anything in this Hawks team that you see, and this is for Adam or Chris, that's like, if Grant's, even if he's not playing his best, the matchup will dictate that Grant Williams should be on the floor, or is the matchup actually dictating that it should be Sam? Adam, I'll
3: defer to Chris. I was going to say, I'll oh. defer to you. Um, my my two cents here is, and I've said this kind of leading into the question, Hauser comes in with a body of work this season against Atlanta, where he's found success every time. Whereas Grant, for me, I don't think Grant is a situational guy. I think that he can give you good value everywhere. But the Grant Williams we saw to start the year where there was improvements in his after dribble game. He was making better reads uh, offensively in terms of passing, knowing when to attack, knowing when to defer. His post-up game was looking better as well. That Grant kind of evaporated after the All-Star break. And that was partly due to injury. I think there was a bit of a confidence crisis there. Whereas Hauser kind of came through that midseason slump where he couldn't hit the ocean. And all of a sudden, his confidence has grown. If you're coming into the playoffs, you need to ask yourself a question. Do we want to build Grant's confidence ahead of a potential series against Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and then whoever you're going to see in the finals? Or do you want to ride the hot hand in housing now and hope that Grant is a bit able to kind of just switch it on when it's needed? I think going from that psychology type of standpoint will kind of show you a lot where Joe's mind is in the opening round.
2: Yeah, and I would assume they would lean heavy on, like, we got to get Grant right. Because when you go back and watch us, his ability to go Durant, the, the whole offense fell off the cliff there in the the finals, like the whole bench was bad in that series. But, you know, I think you just got to, got to hope to get Grant back. I think part of what, what compounded in the year was getting that D and it, it it just was really like get his confidence back, which is weird because he's such a a confident guy in general. Uh, But we know like in sports, especially it, it just, it matters. And so it's a lot easier for me to see a scenario where, you play Grant, and if it's just for whatever reason doesn't work, or if he's not rebounding and he's getting taken advantage of there, you can easily go to Hauser. But you still need, you know, that it, you're still playing the big game and trying to figure out who your who your best rebounders are. Um, but I do think you start with Grant, and he's one of your eight, and then you find minutes for for Hauser.
1: Yeah, because with Grant, like if you look at Pac's lineup, the two guys that you might say, oh, Grant could go in there if that guy gets hot or like John Collins or DeAndre Hunter. But at the same time, it's like, it's John Collins and DeAndre Hunter. which I think like Jalen Johnson, I, th- I think could have a moment in this series. He reminds me of how I felt about Kessler Edwards a couple of years ago, where I was like, I feel like the Nets should play Kessler Edwards more. right?" And you, and you see this here, like Kessler Edwards getting some run with Sacramento. So he's one of those guys that maybe he gets a, gets a shot. But what I wanted to ask you real quick, and this is for both of you again, in turn, if you've already talked about this while well, I got kicked off, of, <laughs> off of <string> guard, <laughs> let me know. But at, in, your ta- in your tape study, is there any scheme that you've seen in your tape study that you think the Celtics will actually struggle to contain with the Atlanta Hawks?
2: I just don't know. I mean, I, I feel like you can get them out of their offense very quickly if you trap Trey and like force the others to beat you. And on like the other side, I just, as much as they have that length, they really didn't bother Jason and Jalen in that last visit to Atlanta. And I don't know what they can do and what they can dream up where the Celtics can't just move the ball, hunt Trey a little bit. And now Adam brought up a good point earlier. Like you can't in the much of the same way that teams take themselves out of their offense, trying to hunt Sam Hauser Celtics can't get overly worked up, trying to take advantage of the Trey matchup. And cause if they do, then they're going to devolve to isolation. And we know that's the worst version of the Celtics, but if they're just, making the right play and they know that's a a spot that they can start the attack with i don't know how atlanta necessarily combats it unless their wings just play out of their mind their best basketball of the year and even then i mean jason and Jalen, i can't imagine they're going to be able to to to, to sort of turn both of them off turn that faucet off and i mean we what we've seen teams have success with is throwing junky zones at them and trying to just kind of mess the game that way and I think Joe's ready for that too, because late in the season Toronto did a little bit of it, and uh, I I just feel like they've really been well prepared for pretty much everything that they're going to they could possibly see in this first
3: round. I think the only thing I'd add there because I, I agree with everything Chris has said is it's hard to know what they're going to do because Quinn Snyder has been in charge for mm. like 25 games, like mm-hmm. he's still learning his roster, he hasn't had chance to implement his system yet, his schemes. So a lot of what they've been doing is what they were doing throughout the season. And then Quinn's just started slowly adding little tweaks here and there to get his input and his brand of basketball. What we're seeing in the playoffs is going to be maybe a hybrid between what they were running under Nate McMillan and now what Quinn Schneider wants them to do. So the film stood, when you're diving into the film, it's really difficult because your sample size is so small compared to what it would be. If they were facing Miami or if they do face Philadelphia, where it's been the same coaching staff all season, it's just it for me, it just makes things a little bit more difficult to read because you just don't know what Quinn Snyder's got up his sleeve.
1: Yeah, and I think the coaching conversation is probably um, one of the conversations that's going to loom large throughout this series, right, is like everyone's expecting the Celtics to win. Let's let's just be honest there. But if there is an advantage that the Hawks have, like Quinn Snyder has much a deeper resume than joe Mazzulla does um but i, I want to pivot real quick to t- talk a little bit about individual battles um to watch in this series because i think there are some fun ones the first one i want to start with though um we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because i think this is like the the low-hanging fruit here marcus Smart and trey young mm. do you think that this is going to be solely on marcus or is this a team effort to shut down trey <laughs>
2: No, I think, it, 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 again, anytime you have a score like that, it has to be a group effort. But I, I and I keep saying this that there's no if, if you're worried about the team lacking focus, all you need to do is remember is Marcus Marker kicked in the junk by Trey Young last time they were down in Atlanta, and I think that goes a long way towards making you a, a little bit more focused the next time you're going up against them in a real game. Uh, I asked Marcus today, we got to sit down with him, and I was saying like, does that does does that play in it at all? And he downplayed it but we know Marcus and we know Marcus has a, has a long memory with the, with those sort of moments. And, uh, the one thing I thought was refreshing was that he admitted, you know, and he said it previously this season that he just hasn't played to the level that he's done in the past. And clearly not the defensive player of the year level that we saw last year. And he admitted, it's just confluence of everything. A little bit of injuries, a little bit of just the, like the, the everything going on in the season, like personal life, everything going on. But, uh, he kind of ended it with, but it's the playoffs, and I'm going to go up a level. And when Marcus Smart says that, that's you—you you sort of buy in that it's going to happen. And uh, you know, poor Trey Young could be the 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 brunt of of Marcus Smart's frustration with with anyone who thought maybe his—I uh, don't think anyone thought his defense slipped, but clearly wasn't as impactful as last year. Uh, and it—I do think it's it, it's it's important for these Celtics not only for Marcus to get back to doing what he does defensively but offensively be the quarterback and, and you know, look, if, if Trey's going to start on him in the instances, like, you know, take advantage of that and figure out how to how to, to, to make that matchup work. And so I think this is a, a huge Marcus Smart series.
3: I want to throw a question to both of you. I'm going to take you a roll for 10 seconds, Greg. Uh, Sounds good. Well, the The biggest guard matchup for me is DeJounte Murray versus James. Mm. So I think that those two guys cancel each other out. They're both good defenders. I think that Murray's held Brown. I think it was to six points in like 12. 12 or 13 minutes of matchup this season. Uh, Brands held Murray to about five. They've both been really bad from three when they're guarding each other. How do you guys feel about that matchup? Are you guys coming... Like, for me, I'm coming in like, this is a key guard matchup. And I actually believe it's more key than what it is Marcus Smart and Trey Young because you know you can score on Trey. Scoring on Murray, well, they brought Mm. Murray in to add the defense to their uh, backcourt. So it just... That to me just speaks more of um, an important one because you need Brown playing uh, at all-NBA level and you don't want to knock his confidence or take him out of rhythm early. And I'm with you because I...
2: uh, Go for it. You lead it off.
3: No, no, no. Lead it
1: off. Thanks man I appreciate you. Uh, So I think I think with uh, Jalen and Murray to me this is more of a conversation about like Jalen's mindset coming into the series because Murray has such good hands, he moves his his hips really well he reminds me of just like a taller longer Avery Bradley, the way that he plays defense and his screen navigation and just how active he is with his hands. So I think if Jalen looks at that matchup and does what Jalen has a tendency to do at times, where he might take that as a, a personal challenge to himself and say, I am good enough to, you know, cook DeJounte Murray, which when he when he goes into that mode, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But if Jalen plays within the team concept and the team is moving the ball, there is going to be so many opportunities for Jalen to be able to score on people that aren't Dejounte Murray, right? So I think if if the Celtics play within themselves and stick to their scheme and Missoula ball, then I don't think that matchup will be as much of an issue as if Jay, if if Jalen decided to go a little bit more one on one.
2: Yeah, and and so like and and just, I think Adam, you said it perfectly. Like it's weird that I come into a series and I'm more worried about Dejounte Murray than I am. Trey Young, but I kind of know what's going to happen with Trey, and it, it, the the points sort of wash. But if Murray is good, then the Celtics have a problem, and we know that, you know, especially in those Spurs days. Even if you threw Marcus Smart at him, it was a tough cover. It is a luxury that, as you know, Celtics have someone like Jalen Brown they can throw now and sort of like let him take on that matchup. I'll be very interested to see how much we get like Murray versus White. It's two the, the the former Spurs stuff. Like I don't I don't know if I love that, but. Uh, I like I want size on Murray and just to prevent them from from kind of you know being getting that mid range shot off with ease and so uh, let it be the the mid range battle between him and Jalen and uh, and see who becomes uh who takes advantage of that the most uh, I think Jalen needs to put pressure on him offensively and attack the basket and and you know kind of try to to win it that way uh, but like the roadmap for me for the Hawks being competitive is just Murray having a a, a big series.
1: What's the one lineup that the Hawks can throw out there that you feel like could give the Celtics some problems? Because I don't think it's their starting lineup.
2: No, and and I'm not sure. I'm I'm trying to think like through sub lineups that, I mean, you know they they don't they're not going to be very big, and this, that benefits the Celtics. They're they're not going to be like a you know there's no towering size lineup that they can throw out there. You can add a little bit of shooting with Bogdanovich. You can add some energy with Okongwu, but I don't know like. I guess there's no, no lineup that I, I sit there. I would be fascinated to go through. I haven't even looked yet at like what five man lineups have been their most successful. Um, I presume just because the starters have gotten a ton of time together that, 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 has been pretty good. Um, but I would, I would wonder what, like, is there something that, is there a wrinkle there that you think can, uh, can, can mess with Boston? Well, just like going
1: through their, their roster, right. And like what might give the Celtics issues, I think Trey being on the bench, um, is the lineup I'm thinking of. Like if they went Murray, Bogdanovich, Celtics killer, Sadiq Bey, mm-hmm. uh, Okongu. <laughs> I, I like how Okongu has played whenever he switched onto Tatum or Brown. Reminds me, I know this has been said before, right? reminds me of a lot of a younger Bam and just like the way that he's able to switch out onto, onto wings. And then really that fifth spot, if it's not Trey, Collins, maybe. But like, you mm-hmm. know, I've mentioned Jalen Johnson before on this pod. I think maybe it's Jalen Johnson, but just like a, a more switchable lineup that could, um, easily handle the Celtics offense and also just like have enough shooting on the court to just like be weird. Right. We're really not like not prepared for it. And then we, as Adam said earlier, we're not sure the wrinkles that Quinn Snyder is going to have ready. So I'm just trying to look, look at what they've done. And to your point, Chris, like I haven't gone through their lineup data or either. So that's just something I'm thinking about. It's like, what, Man. what is Quinn Snyder going to throw out there that could just like cause, co- cause some issues for the Celtics?
2: It's an interesting point. I think we always defer, like when I look at opponents that can can make the Celtics work, it's typically ones that have enough wing depth to throw bodies at them and make them struggle to score points. And obviously that's what was great about the Warriors is that they could roll Wiggins in there and and, and just really hound them. And um, so I just just think that the Celtics, uh, but if they play their game and and again, I, I would feel, I'd feel more conflicted about it if it wasn't the start of that first Atlanta game. Was like an all-star game like tatum got to the basket every chance he wanted i get it maybe they don't have the same playoff intensity but i need to see the the hawks go up a level and and play great defense for a long stretch before i'm ready to to worry about their ability to to take both those guys out
3: and that's the problem right because they just don't have the player personnel where they can actually implement a high level defense for more than four or five possessions in a row before things start to crumble again a kangaroo is great but i don't see him as a as a defensive kind of pivot point where you put him in the middle and then all of a sudden you can start funneling people towards him with wings pinching in he's just not that type of guy he's more of a ball stopper than an actual like rim protector or defensive linchpin i think it's going to be a year or two away for atlanta they made a good move in bringing marine that kind of helped with their perimeter defense they still need some wing stoppers they still need somebody that can genuinely play back up to capella or replace capella from what he was when he originally came to atlanta i'm not concerned i'm genuinely coming into this expecting a fourth game five game series and then we'll be out of there and waiting looking at philadelphia like okay now the playoffs actually start
2: i I hate being irrationally confident but again that's the way it makes you feel and it's funny because like i mean this podcast would be a whole lot longer if we were talking about the heat right because there's so many more things that worry you i'm not saying the hawks can't make you work can't make this thing interesting at times but end of the day if the selfish play to their potential there's there should be little reason to to fret the minutia of this of this series so what would have to happen for this series to go six or seven uh so you have to create a
1: list of four okay. or five things
2: let's go uh jalen brown another botanical uh accident <laughs> um uh I mean, I, I, Jason Tatum slumps tremendously for multiple games. Uh, Marcus Smart fights Trey Young at some points and gets suspended. Uh, and, you know, and I, I don't want to throw health in there, but like ultimately that's what it comes down to. Is if like the Celtics are healthy? And I don't even know if they got to be fully healthy. Like their top seven are, are, are upright. If Rob is spry, like this thing should be a pretty fast moving series. Uh, the only other thing you throw in there, obviously, is if the Celtics play down to competition, which was, again, something that we just harped on from the regular season. But uh, I haven't gotten that vibe from them yet. And I just feel like they've waited so long to get back to this point, 10 months to be back in the playoffs and have a chance to avenge. And I think they just know they got to set that tone. It's important for Joe to have confidence out the gates. And so it's hard for me to roadmap. I, look, look, I normally do. I normally like, all right, well, this happened like this and this man, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, it, there's a lot of ifs in there to, uh, to get to the point where I feel like the Hawks have a chance.
1: For sure. And before we get you out of here, Chris, cause I know you got to run, uh, just looking at the rest of the Eastern conference, uh, what are your predictions bucks versus whoever they end up, uh, playing Sixers nets and caps Knicks?
2: Yeah. So I think the bucks roll straight through to the, to the, to the Eastern conference finals. I hope that Whoever does emerge from Cavaliers Knicks, and I think I still skew Cavs. Like I think Donovan Mitchell's gonna be the typical playoff killer that he is, and we'll find a way to outlast that Knicks team. And even though the Cavs are still relatively young and have been inconsistent at times, I think their size will help negate some of what the the Knicks do well and take Randall out a little bit. So I I hope the Cavs win there, and I hope they find a way to push the Bucks a little bit just to just so that the, the Bucks just don't steamroll through this thing. And, you know, I, I already have my friends are saying, well, you know, if the Bulls get through, could they be a, a thorn for the for for uh for uh Milwaukee in round one or or could Miami find something? Yeah, you can cross your fingers, but I wasn't very bullish on the on, on the heat being particularly difficult for the Celtics either. So I can't sit here and say I think they're gonna necessarily push uh push them. And I think Philly, obviously, rolls based on just the, the Nets just aren't going to be ready for that for that stage uh, yet, even though I like their young pieces. And uh, then it'll come down to, like, how many games does Embiid be great in round two? And will dictate how long that series goes. But I feel pretty good about the Celtics' chances. I mean, they were down two starters and Embiid went for 50 points, and they still nearly won that game or at least had a shot to to get it at the end. So uh, I'm pretty bullish on the Celtics. So. My eyes just naturally go to Celtics box, and uh, I'm gonna admit, like, I would be kind of disappointed if we don't get it because it just feels like this is how it has to end. If This is how it has to get to in the East.
3: I just want to, yeah, I just want to end this with some fun. So, um,
1: well, we this hasn't know, been
3: fun. Yeah, Have we yeah, not yeah, had no, enough fun. I mean, don't <laughs> make me sound bad. I didn't mean it like that. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been analytical, and so I just want to kind of lighten the tone as we as we hit. Let everybody get back to their day. Mm. Uh, we all know joe missoula is a peculiar cat right so we speak about it a lot on this podcast um we've started to know him as a cyborg type of guy mm-hmm. so i was I wondering know. you you've been around him more than most media you're kind of, that's why you're an insider um do you have a favorite joe missoula quote from this from this season oh quote?
2: i don't know he, he some of his like short responses have been hilarious like when, even just like we were talking about it when he when when he get asked about you know, what he's learned through the year. And he just says, calling timeouts. Like, it's it, it's it's a little bit of, you know, self-awareness in the fact that, you know, at first he kind of pushed back on that. Like, okay, I'm a coach. I'll I'll decide when I call timeouts. But also recognizing that there is a cadence in the NBA to that. Um, I, I think the more interesting thing to me is, as I'm talking to guys this week, I'm asking them about Joe and everybody had a story. So, and I'll write this eventually, but so you have, you know, him and Smart, the whole story about him doing a, a somersault down in miami and joe said that was him trying to bond with smart over their love of like mixed martial arts and and fighting stuff he's got malcolm brogdon drinking bone broth every morning even though (laughs) malcolm brogdon thinks it's terrible uh joe has sold him on the uh health benefits
3: chris man thank you
2: (laughs) (laughs) Third, third location of the show uh i just i just i just wanted to say Evidently, the, the takes I am spewing on this podcast today are so hot that my phone is now overheated twice, even inside a air conditioned garage. So, before I get kicked out again, I'll, I will finish. And I, I heard you saying bone broth. So, yeah, you got to do some. I, I think I, I remember someone t- explaining the science behind it and, and the benefits of it. Um, but Malcolm says it tastes terrible. And so, I do not advise anybody to go through it. The bottom line is that as quirky as Joe is, He's got everybody in that locker room won over and like so much of what they do and so much of what they accomplished this season required that buy in. And so it's impressive because like not every coach gets that and he certainly benefited from a good team. But I do think he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, keeping this ship upright when 200 days ago we felt pretty like uneasy about where this thing was headed after uh, as they came out of the EMA situation.
1: For sure. Chris, you a Seinfeld guy? I am. So <laughs> running joke on this show is we called Joe Missoula, crazy Joe Missoula after crazy Joe <laughs> Devola. I love especially, it. Especially when they started talking about the Joey Jiu-Jitsu Jiu- thing on the last <laughs> uh, on the last broadcast. I was hollering laughing. And we have this running joke now that Joe Missoula is going to leave the locker room door open to encourage intruders. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do you know what so upsets great. me? When I was in Boston, I wish I'd, I wish I'd known Joe did jiu jitsu because I could have bonded with Joe over our love of jiu jitsu. This makes me sad.
2: Really? Well, yeah. now, now, now we were talking before we jumped on, we said you need an excuse to come back so go ahead and book that JetBlue flight and you and joe can get your senseis together and and
3: be we ready can to wrestle go. it out we can wrestle it out that's what we can do and then i can have a story how i either won or lost <laughs> against uh hopefully nba champion
2: Ooh,
1: there that we would go. be great
3: there that we go great. right chris man thank you for sticking with us i know it's been a it's been a choppy I mean, show man but i'm really grateful so
2: what i look i'm glad i wasn't the only one with issues today but I do want to say, this is a good reminder of why I don't leave my basement, why I, if I'm podcasting from the studio, I should have just gone into the into the climate controlled room. I appreciate you guys hanging in there and letting me wear my sunglasses before my phone completely <laughs> d- d- died on died on the spot.
3: Your phone melted in your hand, man.
1: No, I'm, <laughs> I'm super grateful. Yeah, enjoy the weather, man. And uh, we're going to play you out with some music for my band down Ooh. here in Austin, Texas. We are called Black Sheep Optimists, and this one is called Skywalking. Peace everybody. I wish that I'd never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stick for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that she wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope cause You should know that that embodied that's what go with the flow I can sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your
0: clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't let